pop culture questions only one podcast knows. Nerds that know. Rated R. You may have pretty dresses, but you didn't get to see me at the Fan Expo. Very true. Bob, I didn't get tickets to the Fan Expo until the last fucking minute. Well, uh, Denver Fan Expo. Hold on, hold on. Denver Fan Expo um, had originally given us press passes for one person. And then um, we had asked for extra passes. Then uh, during check-in, they offered us extra passes. So we were very, very appreciative. Um, And so greatly appreciate uh, all of the people for Denver Fan Expo. So we'll actually go ahead and jump right into that because Smurf and I were both able to go. And I got to wear my, my beautiful princess dress with the fucking hoop skirt. That dress, I swear to God, weighs like 30 pounds. I don't know how women got laid back in those days. I mean, it it's was- very easy. The hoops just lift straight up. Yeah. I could drive in that thing. I could pee by myself in that thing. You know? I mean, I'm just telling you, like, I know women who can't do that much by themselves in a wedding dress. So... No, it all just depends on how you, you know, properly structure things. It's all about the structure under the skirt. My skirt had uh, multiple layers of crinoline and then the hoop. You looked yeah. like you were a princess for, like, the woodland folk. It was very flowy. And it had a train. Did you get a lot of pictures with your, with your pretty dress? I did. I got many, many pictures, a lot of which are up on our Facebook page. Our Instagram and our Twitter also have uh, pictures of me in my pretty princess dress, you know, with my tiara on. Well, it's not a princess dress unless it's got a tiara. This is true. Uh, It's funny. I was talking to a friend of Smurfs while we were at the the con, and he's like, wow, did you get this dress just for this? And Smurf had to explain, no, no, this is just Bobby's closet. Like, yep. It was, kind of, it was kind of funny because it just seemed like so out of sorts, like you would own something, you know, like that. So it's very regal looking. So they were very taken back by the fact that this was, yeah, I just had this in my closet. It was like, I hadn't decided what I was going to wear this weekend. And I was like, hey, this gives me a good excuse to wear this dress. Very true. Yeah. Uh, but all in all, it was an interesting uh, event, the, the Denver Fan Expo. Um, they kept it to about 75% capacity uh, to what they are planning to do for the next year's event. 
Um, and next year they're planning to be um, there for 4th of July weekend instead of Halloween weekend. I, I don't know what the hang-up and why they have it in their mind that the holidays are a good time to have a con. I really don't. Colorado, this fucking town empties out in the summer. So I don't know what they're thinking, that there are going to be people lingering about during the 4th of July. But, okay, go back to Father's Day weekend. That worked for everybody. Yeah, Except for the fact that it was also Pride weekend. But you know what? It still worked. I mean, it was even a better light rail ride because you didn't know which costume was for which group. And that was was true. (laughs) And that was always fun. Uh, Even turns into a game of guess which costume. You know, I I don't understand this, this, this desire to have it on the holidays. And I honestly think that attendance was affected by it being halloween weekend oh absolutely oh yeah so i i I know that they said they were keeping attendance down by 75 percent, and i don't have what the final numbers were but i'll guess it was less than 50 percent of what um what capacity could have been well i know they had sold twenty five thousand tickets going into the weekend so if they hit fifty thousand in attendance I will be surprised. I don't think the numbers are going to be where they were hoping. I got a mixed bag of uh, information from retailers, from attendees. Likewise. Likewise. So I I don't know where this con lands, but the one thing that I did hear the most often, and I just kind of chuckled to myself, was this isn't Denver Comic Con numbers. And I was like, okay, then. Yeah, but it also, it wasn't pop culture con numbers. It wasn't. It was probably better than pop culture con. I mean. But not as Yeah. I mean, but you have to think, this was also the first year post-pandemic, and they still did have the mask mandate in place, which they did pretty good on enforcing. I mean, they didn't do great, but I've been at other cons recently where they didn't give two shits, um, you know, and uh, the the cosplay restrictions when it was the pop culture con were so strict, you know, and then now those are gone. Like, there, there was just lots of flesh hanging out everywhere. There was happiness. There were smiles. There were weapons. There, there were, were props. The Gestapo was not at the gate to stop you with your little, you know, bag. They, they like, can we look inside your bag? You open the bag. Okay, thanks. And yeah, they, they didn't even open my water bottle. No. They're like, hey, okay. Have fun. And I'll see. It was great. It was perfect. Yeah, was I mean... Lady that gives me the evil eye every time I come through with a proton pack, like you know, she really thinks it works. Yeah, uh, like <laughs> Pop Culture Classroom did have a small setup, which was nice because you know, that gives a place for the kiddos. 
but the the con itself had that that same fun you know there was a princess a slave princess leia who was dressed like slave leia oh, okay. you know and there wasn't this no side boob thou shalt not have navel you know and it, it's one of those things where it's like obviously i could not wear the dress that i wore this year to the july con because that dress was so fucking heavy i was even getting hot in october um but next year i could totally whore it up because hey you know what don't knock my goals when you have the tatas and the booty, might as well bring them out to make the people happy. Might as well. Might as well flaunt it. You know, if you had my breasts, you would flaunt them too. Without a doubt. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say for the Fan Expo is it didn't feel like a Denver con. There were a lot of faces that were missing. Um. And, you know, like I walked up and down Author's Alley, which was this big. Like there were almost no authors there at all. Um, and Tattered Cover had like this little postage stamp. Uh, so like none of our favorites were there. Corinne was gone. No, Stash's uh, con wife was, was nowhere to be seen. Uh, you know, because I wanted her and Lisa to see my dress. Cause, cause they're my, my witchy aunties. Um, you know, and I knew that Lisa was going to be there. Uh, you know, uh, author Lisa Manifold was there doing a couple of panels. Um, but also a lot of the cause, uh, most of the cosplayers that were there, um, along that back wall were, um, out of towners. We didn't have our usual, you know, uh, people like I didn't recognize a lot of people um, you know, and it was nice to see new faces like that was great, but I didn't see a lot of the familiar faces that you expect to see, you know, like we have a little con family, you know, and you know, I mean, like I, I did get to see a few people and that was nice. Um, although with the the big dress, no cat ears, and a mask covering half my face, you'd be surprised how many people I was talking to who had no idea who I was. <laughs> actually, that, that was more times than not where I actually had to have people take their mask down so I knew the fuck I was talking to. Because people would come up and like start carrying on conversation. And I'm like, you know, don't take this the wrong way. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah, well, like I would have a whole conversation with somebody with just like this little giggle in my voice because nine times out of ten, it doesn't matter what costume I'm in, I wear my ears and tail when I go out. Right. And that's kind of my signature. And I didn't want to ruin the line of that dress. I was just, I felt like such a princess. Like I, I like stopped and I was like standing on staircases to take pictures with like the train draped behind me and everything. And so I didn't wear any of my normal cat gear or anything. And then I have the mask covering half my face. So yeah, people who I've known for years and years, no clue who I was. 
That was um, nice. The, the the cosplayers were more in effect, even if there were new ones. Mm-hmm. I saw some cosplays and I was like, okay, I'm 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 yeah, I have no idea who you are, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, no, like I said, it was nice to see a lot of new faces. It was just, you know, I missed some people. You know, I wish that we had had the new faces in addition to. Plus, 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 we didn't have the movie cars. No, movie cars were there. Key garage was in the back. They had oh, the- they were in the very back. Because I only saw two two of the cars. You saw the Green Hornet. Yeah, I saw the Green Hornet and I saw the Jurassic Park Jeep. But that was it. That was it. That's all they had time and room to get in there. Okay. Well, see, like, I, you know, back back when it was still the cool Comic-Con, and they had like that whole fucking like spread of vehicles because they just had the two this time, but at least they had them. They had them. I mean, we had the the Halo community group. You had the Star Trek community group. You had Project Nerd. You had Real Nerds. Mm-hmm. The whole section was just. I mean, they had a cosplay thing. They had a stunt crew. Mark Grove was there with his stunt team. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, that whole area was. Alive with a lot of different fun things that yeah I, I and I thought that the uh, the panel selections were really good this year um, the the kid area was also really cool uh, they had the little parkour set up yeah, for the kiddos I, was, I wasn't sure about the red carpet cosplay thing that was kind of interesting but it was fun yeah. Was like, okay. Everyone's chance in a cosplay costume to, to walk a red carpet. It was interesting. I was like, okay, I'll watch. I feel like there was a lot more cosplay than I've seen um, on like an early afternoon before, just because it was Halloween weekend. And you saw a lot of, you know, um, costume store costumes. I think in the last, this has been the most cosplay I've seen in the last few years. From Absolutely. Comic-Con, which is nice. So, overall, do you think this was a good test run for their common joy? I think it was a do, good do you- toe in the water. But I really hate the weekend they chose. Well, for this year and for next year. I'm just, I'm curious if maybe this was just a test run so they could get their feet under themselves in a new theater and they could figure out what exactly works for the next big con that they're trying. You know what? I can give them credit for it. They got people in the doors. They got people out the doors. They've got the badge system where they've got readers in place so they know who's in and they know who's out. They, they expedited that line like seasoned pros like mm-hmm. I would expect from someone that has ran a con. So all of like the, the air quote first year con if issues were non existent. Agreed. Uh, so from the execution standpoint, it can get I don't know if it can get better, I'm sure it probably could, but mm-hmm. 
from a guest standpoint, I'm hoping it improves. But there's so many things to take into account of, you know, holiday weekend, Rona, um, just availability. I mean, there's just so many other things that kind of come into play from the guest standpoint. And a lot of the guests we had seen before. I mean, two guests that stood out, uh, Christopher Eccleson, who's never been here, and uh, uh, Esposito, Giancarlo Esposito. Wow. Never been here, and to see them and to interact with them was great. And since the diminished crowd, I could actually sit and talk with with both of them. I didn't get an interview, but I had a very lengthy conversation. Gene Carlo Esposito, I got like 20 minutes with. Oh, nice. I really wish I could have about that Huh? Did you talk to him about Far Cry? I, I talked to him about Far Cry. Um, I talked to him about Do the Right Thing, which is my first film I ever saw him in, um, which is a Spike Lee movie, and he's opposite Danny Aiello. Who I love Danny Aiello. He's like an amazing actor, favorite actor of the 80s and 90s. And um, there's a lot of back and forth between Giancarlo and I, and it's the man is just so gracious and humble and awesome. And I the big question that I had to ask him that I was dying to was how do you go from this humanitarian, this very caring, giving individual to such a cold, heartless bastard that just wants to kill everybody? And he, he doesn't say a word, but he just stops where he's where he's standing and gives me that look. Like yeah. at the end of the Mandalorian when he gets out of that fucked up TIE fighter and he just has that and he did it on a dime. The man just stopped. Dead fucking cold. He gave me the look. He gave me a chill. And that was, I was, oh, that's a con for me. Yeah, good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. Eccleson remem- remembered me from when I saw him uh, a couple of years ago at New York. So it was nice. We, him and I went back and forth again and talked about like, just nonsense stuff. Last time I saw him, we exchanged lines from Gone in 60 Seconds, which was fun. This time, you know, he, he still says, so you still think, still don't like me? I'm like, I love you. What are you talking about? He's like, yeah. So that was, like, a great interaction between Eccleston and I. So at least he remembered me. I guess that's a good thing, right? You are memorable, if nothing else. That, that's, that's an understatement. But, I mean, everyone else is kind of a rehash. I, I got to see Rob. Rob and I had a moment and talked and caught up a little bit because last time I saw him was Chicago. So um, Maurice remembered me from the Sony event a couple years ago for Ghostbusters. So, But a lot of these people are rehashed. They've been here. So I don't know what to expect because all the ones that were new canceled out, like, as soon as they almost got signed. Yeah. I don't know. I'm curious to see how our con, how that con develops, because like there isn't a super huge con in the middle of the states, and it'd be nice if we could do that. And that's what ECC was on its way to become. Yes, I mean we were third largest. Yeah, it's like I wish we would have just not fucked it all up. And I don't know if the road to recovery is a long one. I mean. Uh, Fan Expo, if one thing throws a lot of money at its con, they bring in guests, but on the other side, they expect a lot of money. 
I know for an end cap for Artist Alley is seven hundred bucks. Ooh. Yeah. It's a lot for Artist that, Alley. That is a lot. So that's that's I mean, again, that's New York prices. We're not New York. And I don't know if we could be a New York. And maybe we can, but But not yet. Not yet. There's a little there's a little disjointed kind of connection there. We'll, we'll see how that how that develops because I know some retailers were not exactly happy. It wasn't previous Denver Comic Con numbers, and some this was their first con since Rona. So it's kind of a mixed bag of mm, kind of expected better. We're happy, kind of, but we expected better. Like I said, uh, the the vendors I talked to were were definitely the mixed bag. Some said they were having a great weekend. Some were saying, you know, we're we're still hopeful. Uh, so, I mean, I know people that will be back for next year, even if it is Fourth of July weekend. And I know a couple that are like, um, it's Fourth of July weekend. Fuck off! I'm in the mountains. Peace out. Well. I- we will be back there next weekend or next weekend next year. Uh, and you know, we'll be whoring it up, especially stash because nobody whores better than our resident man whore. Uh, and so this time we'll just make sure he doesn't do any sort of, um, latex or face paint because then he has to leave cons early. Oh my God. I thought you were going to die that weekend. You look so bad. Right. That was a very rough weekend. But you still made it through, you know, like a good two hours of the con. So, all right. Um, four hours of the con. Okay. Part of that was also due to the booze and mahal. That's probably helped a little bit. That was like aerobics. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I know that last week, uh, Stash and Tank. We're flying solo while Smurf was uh, busy with the Halloween festivities that come with being a Ghostbuster. Uh, and I was uh, busy dealing with third shot uh, booster of the, the vaccine. Um, but we saw Dune. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Stash and Tank talked about it briefly last week, but let's kind of delve in it, into it a little bit more. There's been um, some mixed reviews, but uh, let's go ahead and start with Smurf. Uh, what, what's, what was your take on, on part one? I'm upset, first of all, that they hadn't greenlit a second episode or a second installment until after this had landed so we're looking at four years no it is true four years till we get the next installment of June. I, bet I, know. I know but they had confirmed before it was released over in the u.s that they were uh good to they were guaranteed the second one yeah they did say that but yeah we are we are several years out I'm sorry. several years out at least, especially when you're considering all of the stars that are involved in this, all of them are A-listers. There is not a single B fucking team in this one. 
and we're going to try and get these A-listers off of their hectic schedule to film an epic film. Good luck. <laughs> so oh, I gotta I'm not saying it's going to happen soon. I'm just saying they could greenlit the second part earlier. All right. Okay. Now, when I was watching this film, I had to stop and start comparing it to the 1985 version. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, while we were talking about the, the four years, um, follow-up to Dune is re slated release for October 2023. Okay, sure. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I, I will take that bet. There is no way. I'm no not way. saying it's going to happen. I'm saying that that's what's been released. Okay. And that's, that's fine. I can understand that is... The, the target date, but you're looking at um, Zendaya, who is in huge demand. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Mimosa, who's huge demand. You've got uh, Roland, who has huge demand, not only like in normal film, but Marvel side as well. So you've got all of your main major players that are already knee-deep in other projects. This is true. But when I was watching this film, I kind of kept comparing it to 1985 and now. And I really honestly think that 1985's version was a little more brutal. The rating system was completely different and skewered back then. There is no such thing as PG-13 yet. And because I remember one scene where they just like ripped the suit off one guy and threw him out in the desert. I mean, the water is like spewing all over him, and they just toss his ass out there. The scene with yeah, that was Patrick Stewart. No, Stewart was different. Oh no, Stewart's the one that survived. That was the other one. Stewart is Josh Brolin's character. Yeah. Um, so he still he still will show up again. And I know the scene with the um uh Paul's dad came. That whole scene when they extracted the food was was just painful because you could fit, they you saw Dean Stockwell take that extractor, shove it in his mouth, and rip that tooth right out of his mouth, and then jam the, the gas tooth in there. Dennis stuff already just even mentioning the dentist makes my butt fucker, but seeing that whole scene unfold in the eighties was horrific. All right, hashtag butt pucker is going on this uh, this week's cast. <laughs> but, I mean, and then you've got, like, Sting's character, who is the nephew of the Duke, who is um, Batista's character, and they're night and day, because there's that scene where, you know, Sting comes out all freshly pressed mm -hmm. in the 80s, and Batista's just this force of nature just lopping heads off all willy-nilly. I mean, it's it's a tea party for him. I mean, he's ah! I loved it. Right. <laughs> I mean, the Count does have two nephews. The Count and, does have two nephews, but I think Batista is Sting's character. And I was going to say, and we've only seen the one nephew so far. Yes. Um, it still has the same plot holes as the 80s. I mean, the characters are relatively simple and stupid. You know, it but it follows the book. book. It does follow the book. It reads like a bad version of Game of Thrones. Don't get me wrong. It's classic. It's great. But 
the cinematography and what I like what they did was they let the environment tell the story. We didn't get this in the 80s. You got kind of like the cheesy effects, the blocky, you know, lawnmower man style, you know, after effects and armor and all of that, where we have technology and we have better gear now, but you really feel the impact of Arrakis. You really feel the worms. You There's a bigger and faster scope to it, and you let the planet tell the story. They didn't write it up. They let you experience it. They let you come to your own conclusions. I, I really like it, and it is very close to the books. Very close. What if Paul is kind of, you know, in the books, he's a skinny punk. Yeah. He's no big Spider-Man. And I think they got the right character to play Paul. And, you know, the fact that we are looking a minimum of two to four years out for the next film does give him a little chance to bulk up. Because he does need to bulk up to be, I mean, not not like, you know, Momoa bulk up. But, you know, he has to develop a little bit of, you know, that, you know, whipcord, uh, you know, muscle that Mwadip has that Paul doesn't currently have. And I like, I like some of the, the subtle um, talking of the prophecy, how people are, different people are bringing it up until that awkward disembodied whisper that ran through all of the 80s version. I mean, David Lynch worked with what he could, did a good job, but, I mean, this this is far, far superior to anything else we could have expected. I'm, I'm actually very pleased with it. I'm just pissed where it was left, and Zendaya really only had, like, 10 minutes of screen time. I could really have done with a lot less of the dream sequences. That was just so obnoxious it was just getting it was just it was distracting fuck off i don't care what you're dreaming Keep, move on with the story okay yeah yeah, yeah. you're dreaming about a chicken in the desert the dreams are important dreams, yeah. you know what that's fine we know what the dream is stop referencing the goddamn dream we know what it is move forward get me the chick that's what i want <laughs> of course you want the chick for fuck's sake but it, it's also like i so i got to see it in the theater um, and like, you could like feel the worm with the way the sound was, you know, and I thought the, for the fact that the, it was so monochromatic, it, they still had so much depth and detail in the scape, you know, in, in the whole way of, you know, the, the storytelling, um, through the costuming, through the sets, through everything. It wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not imagining that it was shot very darkly, especially when we had the, the invasion of, of the palace. It was You couldn't see a lot was going on. You just knew that shit was happening, and you kind of hoped that you'd see something. But, I mean, it was supposed to be, like, this whole, like, at night sort of, you know, secret invasion sort of thing, which is why I think that scene worked. But I think that whole monochromatic, the way that they shot it, for me, it felt a lot like the way I envisioned the book, which doesn't ha happen a lot. Um, but one of the things that Stash and Tank said last week is two parts is not enough for just the first book. No, I would say minimum four, especially where you left off. You barely scratched the surface of yeah. the story. 
mean, we're we're not even a quarter of the way in to the story where it ends. Agreed. And we're still on book one. We're still on book one. I mean, technically book one of Dune, but book 12 of the Dune saga. But anyway. Which is kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Yeah, because what is there? There's like... What, 12 or 15? Uh, no, um, there's 12 in the original series, and then there's the... So yeah, 16. Yeah, there's like 24 in total, I think, or something. Something ridiculous like that. Well, I know Kevin J. Anderson also has helped extend the, the life of the novels. He's done a lot with it uh, and in the comics. So uh, hopefully we can get Kevin on for an interview. He's busy doing a book tour at the moment. So damn it. Damn it, Kevin. <laughs> well, book tours do come to Denver. They, they do. But Kevin... Kevin lives in Denver, so I know he's not coming here for two <laughs> um, All right, so uh, Stash and Tank, do you guys have anything to add from your thoughts from last week? So I think it's a really good book adaptation, but it is definitely a book adaptation, and it is written through even more the second time I saw it. As for the dark and sparse tones that you were referencing, Bobby, I thought it was interesting because Arrakis is technically Harkonian. Everything is developed by them, so it makes sense for everything atmospherically to appear like that. Mm -hmm. Because it is the ones it is the result of the ones who have owned and possessed Arrakis for that long. Right, for the last what, like eighty plus years. Yeah, so I I enjoy it. I love it. I've seen it. I finished the second time um, over the weekend, and I watched it at home that time because I was like, I want to be able to pee when I need to go to the bathroom. But I, I think overall it's a solid movie. I'm really excited for the sequel. I don't think it ended at the best point, and I still, like, the... I'm worried about the tent scene because, like, in the books, that is, like, a pivotal scene, and it changes everything from that point, and I still, the more people I talk to, the fewer people understand what that scene actually symbolized and represented. Yeah, because of the pack and everything with the, yeah. So, I don't know, that's all I have to say. Yeah, I actually just finished rereading the the book. Uh, no, I think I said most of what I needed to last week. I, I appreciated the subtlety of all the little bits and pieces of information that, unfortunately, if you haven't read the book, you're probably not going to understand. But I think they did a good job of giving you little pieces of information. And everyone, you know, same thought everyone else had. This should have ended either during the attack or immediately following the attack is when the first movie should have ended. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they, they did pick a very weird spot for it to end. Yeah, I think it would have been better a better cliffhanger if you would have cut it off either right after that happens, right after the helicopter, or the, well, it's not helicopter, but the little fucking chopper thing. Okay. Crashes. 
That yeah. dragonfly thing is badass, dude. Yeah, yeah it is. It yeah. is really cool design. <laughs> Go with that where it crashes. No one, you know, everyone's scattered. No one knows what's going on. That's that's how I would have ended it. At least. No, I, I agree with that. I think that's a good cliffhanger. Like, did they make it? Didn't they make it? What happens? No, nope, I like that. But besides that, no, I appreciated the movie. It's one of the better book adaptations I've ever seen, to be honest. I agree. Well, it's not often that all four of us actually like a movie. That's true. Speaking of movies we disagree on. Yeah, uh, Last Night in Soho. Here we go. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, there was somebody on here who looked like a... Never mind. Continue. Firstly, there are two blondes. Are you talking about the chick from Pinky Blinders and Queen's Gambit? Yes, I am. Okay. uh, Sandy. Yes. I mean, that's not technically her name, so... No, but I can't think of the actress's name. But I'm going to try and, like, relate... No, I need in the movie. That's not even her name in the movie. Yeah, no. in the movie, Sandy is technically... Isn't it Eloise? No, Eloise is the other name. Yeah. yeah. She has, like, four different names she uses through the course of the film. Sandy, yes. Eloise kind of does the same thing, but Eloise is actually the little girl that was the Bowman's daughter in The Hobbits. Okay. Uh-huh. Really? Yes, that that was her. I have no idea. Maybe that was part of the problem. I thought that character was a different character than name, so maybe that's part of the issue. These are other fucking names. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different names, <laughs> and, and uh, Sandy, I think, was supposed to be so very complex, and it's a very interesting story up until the second act begins, and you know when the transition is because Eloise goes to bed, and. Yeah start the second act and it becomes this roller coaster psychological thriller that you don't know what's going on. The practical effects in this film are fucking stunning. That okay, whole I, I will say the effects are very well done. So the dance sequence with Matt Smith and mm-hmm. Ella and Sandy, that's all practical. There's no cut footage. It's all one continuous shot. So if you're, you need to watch behind the scenes so you see Matt Smith um, doing the dance sequence. So when one goes out of camera, another person's right there in the background waiting to grab his hand. That's all practical. None of it is a cut. That's actually really cool. I'm not saying there weren't cool things in this movie, though. But and, and it's it, Edgar Wright has this, this formula that works. He laid it all out in the beginning. You just have to be able to pay attention because you're right. You don't... Sandy goes by a ton of names, and one of the names is the giveaway, and you don't catch it till the yeah. end. And I think that that's what's great, that it's in plain sight the entire time, and you're thinking one thing, and it's something else. It's misdirection at its best, and the, the practical effects are, are absolutely spot on. I mean, the story is is simple, but you kind of figure it out as you're going along the way, and I like that. I didn't want to know 
what was going on. I, I didn't need to know what was going on. I so my major problems were that this movie couldn't pick what it needed to focus on. Like at first, I was like, okay, it is focused on this disparate timelines and how they are interacting with one another. And I was like, okay, so it's a allegory about like the sixties through her life, which I think is very interesting. It wasn't that okay. I thought it was like the the use of music as a tool for transforming us and evolving us beyond. Take a lot of the limits of our timelines. It wasn't that. Then I thought it was about the girl and her ability. It wasn't about that. And then I was like, okay, so it's a revenge story. I thought it was that. It wasn't that. But it had an element of all of those things. And it was too much for the movie. All I'm saying is, like, the movie had so much shit in it. If it would have, if they would have cut out a portion of it, they could have made a much stronger, cohesive narrative through the entire thing, and it would have made for a stronger film. I don't know because I like the, the the music aspect of it as a trigger, and it's very it's very telling. And we've seen it before, like in Baby Driver. We've seen it in Guardians of the Galaxy. We've seen where the music helps as a transition and a focal point to help ground the audience and tell and complete the story further. The, the complexity and the layers that build up, I think you need all of those elements because every little bit expands so much more. Because, yeah, you're right, she's got powers that you're like, okay, they kind of explain it, and you see it with her mom, and then the mom is gone. And then this whole other story erupts out of, quote-unquote, her powers. And then the mom shows up at the end. So it, it's a very interesting dynamic to see each layer build on the other. And I think all of them are, are dependent on the other. Because if you take out the music, you lose the whole transition of the characters. If you take out the abilities, well, then the story can't even happen. Um, you do get the revenge story, and the revenge story completes itself. Because of how that all concludes with the big reveal that mm-hmm. came from like the, the beginning of the triggers and all of that going into the second act. Each layer is very intricately layered on the other one. To pull one would pull the entire film apart. See, I don't think that's true. I, I think you could easily simplify it in certain aspects. I will say the music works as a very good trigger. And the timeline is interesting, but even... Even her powers lack consistency. But we because don't know where her powers are. That's just it. That's just the yeah, kind of no, because her powers, powers, powers were established at the beginning with her. Yeah, with her mother, and that she can interact with the dead. The dead interact with her. It's like I don't think that's a big spoiler. It's literally in the trailer. But that changes and evolves with no explanation. Do you need an explanation? I feel like it would have enhanced the storytelling. Maybe. I, feel like I needed to see our main protagonist realize this change and notice this change. That's not what happened. 
but see, we're always wanting them to like leave it up to the the viewer. We're always wanting something different. We don't want to, you know, be crammed with the story. And I think Edgar Wright did that. I really do. The story that we see is, I mean, you pull different things from it. Even like the conclusion. Holy fuck! I mean, that whole that whole final fifteen minutes is just like. I thought it was very, yeah, I thought it was very interesting, and it made sense, and the resolution we got I thought was interesting. I hated the final scene. I, I just loathed it. The final scene... You loathed is, it? Yes, I loathed it. That That's very harsh there, Stash. I did. It just, like, the transition... If you see it, you'll understand. Okay, because I have not seen it. This is one of the reasons I am staying out of this argument. That and because listening to you two fight is fun for me. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of like the final scene. is It brings it full circle. It gives some sense of closure, but there's more, there's more story. And I don't know if we're going to get more story, but you know oh, we're not. there's more to it. No, this is definitely a one uh, there's more story there. That's how he leaves it hanging. There's definitely yeah. something there. Yeah, and it's like I I understand how he left it, especially with like, the mirror pop, like what that represented. Yes. Um, like I understand that. I just her development at the end and like the complete lack of consequences of anything that happened. I'm like, this is. That is bad writing. That is just bad writing. She did add a chick with a pair of scissors. I mean, that one is pretty good. <laughs> and it's like, what happened with that? All's well that ends well? I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, but we got the dude. I don't know. She had that sly look on the side like, yeah, fuck you, bitch. I mean, I, I don't know. Hey, yeah, it's. I'm sorry. I I did not enjoy this movie. I thought it had interesting elements. I thought some of the special effects were phenomenal. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, the special effects were amazing. I even think some of the acting, like Matt Smith, my hat is off because he acted his little ass off. That was like, a whole thing. That whole yeah. Matt Smith, when you see his character from the beginning to the end. Is an absolute home run, and I'm telling you, watch behind the scenes on that dance sequence. It, it it'll blow your mind to how much that put into that scene. The man is spread a fucking stare. I mean, god damn, that was impressive. <laughs> All right, so moving on um, to a couple of trailers that we've recently watched, and that uh, first is going to be uh, Book of Boba Fett. Okay, now I want boba. <laughs> I had a what did I have the other day? I think it was like a Mandal Man, Mandalorian. I had a Mandalorian boba. <laughs> okay, if there's not a boba shop around here that makes a Mandalorian boba, they are fucking missing out. I would get that the time. Mandalorian boba. 
like it. Um, you know what? I I really like where they're going with this. I don't know what it's going to, but I like it. Uh, I have more questions at the end of this trailer than I thought possible, but yeah. I just, I, I think they did a good job selling it. I mean, did they really have to try that hard to sell it? But they did a good job of kind of selling you, like, the idea that we don't really know what's going on with the underworld that he's involved with. We have bits and pieces because of all the movies and shows we've seen. But this is going to take a deeper dive into that dark environment that all the criminal shit that goes on in Star Wars. But when you look at um, Rodriguez, he's the one that's directing this. Uh, his time spent with doing El Mariachi uh, and working with, you know, Films After Dark, uh, him introducing Boba Fett at the end of The Mandalorian. I, I, I really feel that this is in the best hands. And you still have Filoni and you still have Favreau in his ear helping him move this story along. I'm, I'm honestly thinking this is... This is going to be the Desperado Boba Fett we've always wanted to see. Thank you all for that. Awesome. Because <laughs> that's what we want. That's what we wanted for, for me. Oh, Hashtag Desperado Boba Fett. For me, I'm actually me. writing that right now. <laughs> that's legitimately what we want. We want to see Boba Fett kicking people's asses. Yeah. And hunting motherfuckers down. That's been the whole desire behind Boba Fett. But you know what I like? There is even a statement in the trailer that he even says, "I'm not a bounty hunter," and I and I love the the, the qualifier, the definition. I am not a bounty hunter, and he's willing to listen to everyone else. Oh, he's a fucking merc. He's one of the black ops motherfuckers. What? So I'm excited. I'm really anxious to see how this evolves. I know we don't have long to wait. It's um. December 29th. Yep. So Christmas comes early on Disney Plus. Well, that's after Christmas. But yeah, I'm like, like, that metaphor doesn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> New Year's comes early? Christmas comes late. Yeah. Smurf's birthday comes early. <laughs> Couple of months early. Okay, so um, other trailer that uh, we've seen recently that... Uh, Smurf is already grabbing the tissue box for, and that is Lightyear. Pixar is going to do it to us again. The new Buzz Lightyear movie. The fictional story of a fictional character in a fictional world that exists outside of the fictional world that we've been told about before, because it's part of the real world that the fictional world exists in. Yes. Yeah, that sounds about right. I like that. It's like, welcome to Pixar. Yeah. <laughs> like, how many layers deep are we on this exactly? I don't know. I think it's a fascinating idea, and I understand in many ways it's just like a money grab. But at the same time, it looks like a good Look, look, if they can make us cry over two trash cans, robots that fall in love. Right? Like, they can make us cry over a fictional dude who's based on a fictional dude who's based in a fictional world and a fictional universe and a fictional whatever else takes it. It's a world within a world within a world. 
You know, it, it it's it's light year topia. And we'll all watch it. Yeah, it's a story of a superhero, a real life superhero in their universe, essentially, that travels to other planets. That's pretty awesome. But see, it's like multiple superheroes, because you got the Buck Rogers element, so they're directly stealing from Buck Rogers. Space. Oh, yeah. That's 100% rip off of Buck Rogers. Slingshots to the future. We have Chris Evans. Who voice? Who's voicing the character? Captain Fucking America is voicing Buzz Lightyear. All right, I've shed enough Pixar tears. Okay, I don't need to shed anymore. Dash and I were talking about it. Up makes us cry every goddamn time in the same place where the old man is sitting there with the goddamn balloon, and we <laughs> cry every fucking time. I'm tired of crying, Pixar. Stop our it. Tears, our tears are what. We were actually talking about that before you came on, Tank. How we all cried when they crashed the van. Yeah, I didn't cry. Yeah, like we were more upset for the van and the the half pants. I cried over pants. Pants? Are you fucking kidding? Pants and a van. This is true. I would not have cried for talking pants. Tank has children. He's talking about the glowy stuff and didn't weird out. Yeah. All, all I know is the, the story, and I, I'm sure that we're going to, I don't know where we're going to get sucker punched on this one, but I guarantee it, we're going to get sucker punched on Lightyear, and, and I'm sure it's going to be... Oh, you saw, I can you tell you where he gets sucker punched. They've showed you where the sucker punch is. Where? It's at the end of the movie. There's a sucker punch. Do you want me to really tell you what it's like? Like, this is a pure guess by me. The end of the movie is he gets stranded and he never goes home. That's when, that's why all the stories, you know, they tell all the stories in this universe about this guy who just disappeared one day after he saved the world. You see, I don't think he's going to disappear. I think he's going to die saving the world. And Yeah, Pixar's not afraid to kill people. Yeah, I think the thing that's going to like really get us is his cat character that he has, his cat robot. 
Well, I already know that I just watching the trailer softened me. It, it weakened me because then I watched the Tom Hanks trailer with the dog and the robot in the, the freaking caravan. And that one already, like, let's go. See? Pixar. Fuck you, Pixar. No, I'm not falling for it. I don't care. But I'm going to go watch it anyway. Yeah, and you're going to cry at it anyway. Yeah, I am writing down hashtag fuck you, Pixar. <laughs> Did you guys talk about the uh, Morbius trailer? Uh, we did not. And uh, I think we shall wait to talk about that. Uh, we will not be back next week because Smurf will be in Vegas doing um, many things off of the boners of many clowns. Um, and, uh, Stash will be celebrating his birthday as he joins the, um, downhill slope to 40. Stash will be celebrating off the phone of many clouds. I think you got that wrong. Tomato, tomato. You're going to be in Vegas. Stash is going to be celebrating with his, uh, uh, partner of a year, so... Um, but we will be back the following week. We will most likely be posting many fabulous things between now and then. Uh, if you have any thoughts on the Denver Fan Expo, Dune, Last Night in Soho, Book of Boba Fett, Buzz Lightyear, how Pixar makes you want to cry and or tell them to fuck off in any way, shape, or form, please tell us on all the socials. We are nerds that know on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. And Twitch. Also, I am not wrong. I am not wrong. And I have your cash to prove it. I am not wrong. <laughs> you are wrong about Soho. You are. I'm telling you I'm not. I would put it to a vote. I would put that to a vote. All right. We will post the vote. We will post a vote. We will put up a poll. Mm, but run fast, laugh hard, and always be kind. Be kind. Good night.